0: Your organisation is alive. You're not a machine, you're a living system. I'm Paul Miller and welcome to The Nature of Work, where we explore the people, practices and organisations who are bringing a new story of work to life. This podcast is based on the book, Nature of Work, A New Story of Work for a Living Age, written by myself and Shimri Jaynes, and is produced by the Digital Workplace Group. For more information about the Nature of Work book, visit natureofwork.com. And if you'd like to bring this new story of work alive in your company, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com.
1: I think people want to work for a company that they they believe in. And so, you know, that if... if if there is a story to be told which there always is a story to be told that it's that that is going to draw people in. I was seeing
2: organisms outside in nature dealing with a lot of these problems that these businesses were trying to deal with on a daily basis and I think it was then that a light bulb really went off in my head and I started really diving into this world of biomimicry and bioinspired.
1: The making this happen part of it it's it's quite you know it's quite hard to get your head around the fact that actually i i i need to do things every single day um to to make this really embedded within within the system
0: so so we had two really good guests and so we got uh, abigail wilmore abigail is the chief people officer at stella mccartney the uh, fashion brand pioneering Ecological fashion brand founded by Stella McCartney. Uh, Abigail defines and implements the people strategy, brings the ethical, sustainable, and responsible elements of what the Stella McCartney brand stands for into her company's culture and people. She's a breaker of tired, outdated HR rules. And that's good because who wants tired and outdated HR rules? And Abigail operates with the values of trust, respect and integrity and is very focused on creating a heart-centered global community our other guest is lucy colclough she is the founder of work wild and lucy's the creator of work wild it's a bio inspired consultancy and she talks about what that means Uh, she leads and designs bespoke workshops to help organizations overcome business challenges and find new ways of working inspired by nature and as she mentions a little bit that she has a background in branding and marketing. So, yeah, I kind of kept, I don't know if it's just the timing, but I kept finding myself thinking about football or soccer during this um, episode. Um, did you find that as well?
3: I had to stop myself from talking about Gareth Southgate and <laughs> yeah, his absolutely. impeccable leadership. Yeah. Um Considering we were talking about heart-centered leadership, and we're mm. recording the day after England have made it into the finals of the Euros, yeah. I, yeah. I think we did well to hold back. We and did. Not talk we did about Gareth Southgate. Okay,
0: okay, but there are but there are some parallels, aren't there?
3: I think there are. I think there a lot are. of what we, we see uh, I, in how he's leading and what we spoke about.
0: Um they're very similar yeah, I mean one thing that struck me was at the end, Abigail talked about the issue of of deadlines, or I talked about the issue of deadlines and how you give people rest, and she talked about having a diversity of people in a team so that there are different people uh, for different parts and I was thinking about all the substitutions that both England made, Gareth Southgate um but also Denmark made, and how the difference in the timing of those substitutes made such a difference and the the idea that that, that any and it's true of any sport and any sporting team is just a, is an organization a living system when you start to think of it like that you're starting to think about um the capacity to create um tiredness, who needs a rest and and so on and um let's let's not go too much about the, uh, the football because for the people who don't love football. Um, that's not going to really work for them is it?
3: No <laughs> okay. okay But uh, other than other than that what did, what was your kind of key reflection or takeaway from the conversation?
0: Um, just that it's possible to change how you think about an organisation and I was thinking about this relative to what Lucy and Abigail both said um, um, by thinking about new language and the power of having new language so if you look in the world of HR and people, you know, the language used to be about optimization of performance, um, performance management, um and these mechanistic things that essentially treated people like a, a machine that you need to kind of turn into hyperdrive. And that if you change the language around this to one of health, rest, uh, resilience, uh growth you actually changed the culture. That was that was something that really came to me. But you were, you were very interested, intrigued about the idea of rest. Would that be fair?
3: Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, it's in the news so much at the moment about how people are burning out, about how they're not finding time to rest. And you're seeing more and more people advocate for it. And I think when we look to nature, you look to the seasons, you look to the way that animals naturally know when they need to rest and do it if it's safe to do so and we as a species seem to have forgotten how to do that or built systems that don't allow us to do it unless we're kind of more privileged so i think it's an important thing that we're going to have to learn that rest is a part of work not separate from it so it was great to hear their reflections on it and then one of the other I, i mean on my notes, I have stars and circles next to everything. So, so many great, right. great things that were said. Um, but one thing that really struck me was Lucy asking that question, what brings you to life in the workplace? Mm. Um, I haven't heard it phrased that way before, but its I think it gets to the heart of what we're talking about. Mm. Um, it, reminds me of that,
0: yeah, sorry, it reminds me of that Marie Kondo, is it Marie Kondo, the the tidy person, um, mm. who tidies everything, you know, does this bring you joy? And, um, you know, if an item doesn't bring you joy, you can then take it to the charity shop. Yeah. Uh, and, um, so, I mean, that I, and I think that's, that's really nice. And, and it's great that, I mean, both Abigail and Lucy are going to be featured in the nature of work festival happening 21st to 23rd of September in London. Also, um, We're going to hear, uh, before we um, get over to the interview, please do subscribe, rate us on Apple Podcasts, because that's where the podcast juice is. So over to Abigail and Lucy. Great to have you both here. And um, can I start by asking each of you to describe your work and your role? So, Abigail, maybe we start off with you and just ask... um, Chief People Officer at Stella McCartney. What? How would you describe your work and, and, and what you do?
1: Well, my stepdaughter thinks that I just talk on the phone all day. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> my actual role is to, well, I guess like any HR function, is to attract, support, retain and develop people. Um, but I also like to think of it as ensuring and supporting the health of the organization in every single aspect.
0: Hmm. Okay, and what made you focus on health? Because, I mean, when we think of a chief people officer, somebody in charge of or responsible for that, traditionally the, we don't historically at least think of the word health, but that word seems to have some particular kind of meaning for you.
1: Yeah, I guess health in its broadest sense. So the connections between people, relationships, ensuring that there's flow and you know, that it's a healthy environment for people to give their best. That's kind of how I view the health of the organisation and if if all of those things are running smoothly and at their maximum, which of course they never are hundred percent, but mm-hmm. it's my role to try and to try and make it as as yeah, connected and, and in flow as possible.
0: Great. And, and and I suppose, and I don't want to ask you a really difficult question right at the beginning, but how do you know when the organisation, or if you like, I suppose I'm thinking about myself and my own body. I sort of have various things that tell me about how healthy I feel. And, and, and having not been very well for a, f- a couple of months until recently, I'm back feeling really well and really appreciating feeling really well. Um, so how do you know when your organisation is healthy, I guess? Yeah.
1: Well, we put in place a, a tool called Peacon, which is essentially an engagement tool. Um, but we ask people how they feel um, on a number of different topics very regularly. Like every two weeks, we ask two or three mm. questions. So I have a very up-to-the-minute kind of sense in real time of how people are feeling, and that's that's what I really base my understanding of the health of the organisation on. Of course, there are other measures that we could look at, like successful projects um, that come to fruition, mm. you know, achieving sales and targets and those kind of things. But my understanding of health and my kind of view is to is to hear from the people who are working there.
0: And and could you did did you say peakon and how do you spell that?
1: P e a k o n is a brilliant tool, um, and it allows you to kind of look at data in terms of like numerical data. So how many participants we've got to each survey, to you know scores for every kind of aspect of an organization such as engagement, but also sense of well-being, you know, management support, um, understanding the strategy of the company, those kind of topics. So it gives you a a figure as to how well uh, people feel that the organization is is doing and and providing them with. Um, But then also comments. So we were a little bit apprehensive three years ago at opening out <laughs> comments because we mm. not not from the sense of what people might say but just because because we might not be able to to do everything that people want us to do which is absolutely the case we can't do everything at once but um the comments are obviously the most valuable because they really it's anonymous and so people can really tell us how they genuinely feel which they do um, and we we can use that to make decisions and to it was at it was actually I mean I really don't know how we would have gone through the last 18 months um, without knowing this kind of information because we were able to ask all through the pandemic do people feel safe do they have enough information mm. do they you know do they know what what needs to happen next. And, and so it was invaluable during that time, but we use it for lots of other purposes as well.
0: Okay. And um, c- could you just give me a, a, a sense of the size of Stella McCartney as an organisation? Yes. Um, because I've got no idea, obviously it's a brand name that I know really well, but I have no idea of how many people, how many locations, et cetera.
1: Yeah, so we're about 750 people globally. Um, we've got 45 directly operated stores around the world. And then we sell in much, uh, many more kind of wholesale franchise um, through franchise partners as well. And obviously our e-com site. Um, we're, our main head office is in London, in Shepherd's Bush. Um, and then we've got offices in all major markets, um, US, mm-hmm. Japan, Asia, and Europe.
0: I, what I love about what you've been doing is this this two-weekly um, health check, if you like, um, which feels to me very aligned with how we deal with the nature of work and the natural world. Um, is that one of the aspects? Because I think often organisations will do an annual survey and yes. – really this is co- completely different
1: yes i mean we used to do an annual survey and they just mm. they would always tell us the same things and nobody would really understand how many changes were being put into place and couldn't see you know the impact of what they were answering whereas with this it's no longer an you know an hr initiative or part of the people team's job anymore is actually a business tool because our leaders can all look into it um, and they can all answer, of course, the questions as well. Um, So it's really enabling them to understand exactly what their own teams are saying and to then go very quickly into drawing out the themes um, that are coming up within their team and feeding them back in, in... team meetings that they have and talking about things and discussing them and so people really do feel heard and listened to and obviously the the sort of I guess more negative side is if you're super busy and you haven't had time to look in the all. um I, I guess because we've set quite a high expectation now that people are you know, going to whatever they're, they're saying, we're able to respond in some way, even if we're not able to change what, you know, the, the, the thing that they're talking about immediately. It's been super powerful. And it does mean that you're able to impact very quickly um, and pivot very quickly. If people are not happy about something, a policy or, you know, a decision, they will let you know. And so, yeah, it's, it's really, really helpful.
3: It sounds like such a powerful feedback loop to have in place to really hear what people think and feel um, and to kind of, like you said, enable you guys to be adaptive in what you're doing or at least help people feel that they're being listened to and heard, which we know is such an important part of feeling like you belong and are engaged with your work and your organisation. So thank you for that, Abigail. Lucy, over to you. Can you just describe, describe your work and the role that you have as well with what you do?
2: Absolutely. I am a bio inspired consultant. So I'm the founder of Work Wild, a bio inspired consultancy, and we help organizations learn from the genius of nature. So how to build healthy and effective teams in, in ways inspired by nature. Um, you've probably heard of biomimicry, and um, that's a bit of a buzzword now. Um, and historically, biomimicry—what biomimicry, uh, well, biomimicry means—to copy or emulate nature, first of all. Uh, and historically, that's been something that's to products, I think, more tangible things, engineering. Um, you've probably got items in your home um, that have been de- designed with nature in mind. Um, but what we aim to do at Work Wild is kind of take it a step beyond products, so beyond. Uh, physical functions and more into kind of ideas and processes and systems and the way that nature works. Um, so we've got a helping teams, helping businesses to kind of broaden their horizons and look beyond the human world for inspiration when it comes to Collaboration, working together as a team, uh, building a team from scratch, ideation, creativity, coming up with new ideas, um, and of course, change, um, which is something that we're all having to deal with, uh, adapting to change and evolving to change. So just looking at some sort of success strategies that we can then abstract and then incorporate into our human or our, our business world. Fantastic. And you,
3: you also mentioned the word healthy, which I know Abigail used as well in terms of the healthy organization. And what does a healthy organisation. And what does health mean to you in that context of an organisation and a team?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, so we kind of uh, encourage businesses to work within nature's principles or life's principles. And these are a set of principles or guidelines um, that's been distilled. And so- scientists and lots of ecologists and biologists and business strategists around the world Um, and the core principle the core tenet is all around life so life creates conditions conducive to life um, and that's what we all ought to be in our businesses but in terms of what life means, for me, it's very closely linked to this idea of health. Um, so like Abigail, you were saying, it's all about how you feel. So are people feeling satisfied? Are they feeling engaged, energized, happy? Are they comfortable? You know, do they feel that they can come forward with their with their full self at work and, and share their thoughts and their feelings and their opinions? This freedom to be themselves. Yeah, so just overall how, how satisfied they are with their job and feeling healthy and feeling yeah like part of part of something bigger as part of their role in a healthy organization
0: and i'm fascinated to know lucy how did you come up with the idea of bio inspired consultancy and the idea of using nature as a as a if you like a way of uh, helping organizations work and improve
2: yeah, well, I've always been fascinated by nature. So uh, I call myself a naturalist. It's, uh, you know, I'm someone who's and around nature. Um, I've always studied it and enjoyed being outdoors. Um, so it's something that I've always, always been interested in and fascinated by. Uh, my working background is in brand strategy and, and market research. So I've worked in, in, in London, in the city. And while I was working there, I I got a bit of a backstage pass into lots of different client organizations here in the UK and and a few around the world. Um, And I realized that a lot of the issues that our clients were coming to us with, you know, around ideation or perhaps coming up with new product ideas or communication, how to communicate with their their, uh, customers, messaging, collaboration, building teams, coming up with teams and, and with a common goal and working towards that goal with some very simple and very elegant solutions for, for similar problems. So I was seeing a lot of uh, organisms outside in nature dealing with a lot of these problems that these businesses were trying to deal with on a daily basis. And I think it was then that a life- off in my head and I started really diving into this world of biomimicry and bio-inspired leadership and business. Because of course, biomimicry is a very old idea. It's, it's nothing new really, um, taking inspiration from nature. Uh, it is more the bio-inspired leadership and, uh, that's really starting to, to move now, I think, in, in our society, especially here uh, in the UK and also in America. So it's just exciting to bring the two, the two worlds together.
3: Fantastic. And then I know it's, it's something that I know that Paul and I have felt deeply as well and what led us to, to this podcast and the idea of nature of work is exactly as you were saying, that deep connection with nature and just that feeling of there must be so much we can learn from this ecosystem, the way in which nature survives and regenerates and thrives, the way that it deals with threats and it's so great to see other people feeling that same deep sense that we had as well and to connect with you guys. And so, Lucy, just I know that you run workshops and the work world run workshops. Do you have a couple of stories about how you've taken those ideas of biomimicry for processes and improving the way that we work together and applied them within organisations?
2: Yes, yes. So we focus on lots of different topics, as I said shifted I guess over the last few months I should say actually that you know we're a very new business we only we only founded in 2020 so not been going super super long but our focus really has shifted with the needs of our clients so obviously we've all had to deal with the pandemic and and coronavirus so Back then, right in the heart of it, I think crisis management was a topic that was really high on everybody's list. Um, So looking to nature um, for ways to help us with our own crisis management, how we can use nature to make sure that our businesses are agile resilient and they're evolving and changing uh, in a positive sense during a crisis. So uh, I've done several online workshops uh, around crisis management. I'm actually going to be talking at your um, Nature of Work uh, festival in September around that. So I'm really excited about that. Health, of course. So we also focus on connecting with nature because that's kind of really at the heart of it. I think like you were saying, we, you know, this deep connection with nature and feeling like uh, we're a part of nature we're not apart from nature but we' are all in it together so, um helping people to feel that sense of connection with nature because i feel like it's really not necessarily about the amount of time that you spend outside it's it's quality over quantity um, and so especially grown up especially close to nature maybe they didn 't have a garden growing up maybe they didn't spend a lot of time outdoors they might not necessarily have the Skills and the confidence um, that they need to feel connected. You know, you get people, you know, standing outside in a park field, and they're thinking, "Have I done it now? Have I done nature? Is this all? You know, is this all there is? Do I have to do something specific to really feel that sense of connection?" So, running lots of workshops around, um, just giving people the tools to enable them to feel that closer connection with nature. And then more recently, coming out of this side of the, the pandemic, uh, a lot of work on collaboration. So a really fascinating project that I'm working on right now is with a Charity, uh, and they are looking to forge this virtual network of... And sharers, so people that cultivate fruit and vegetables here in the UK, uh, and they really want to create this this virtual network, and they want it to be collaborative, but crucially self-sustaining in the long term. So nature, of course, is full of self-sustaining self. Bees. Uh, so we've been doing lots of research on superorganisms like ants, uh, honeybees, um, mycelial fungi networks. Uh, around what draws them together in the first place. So why do these organisms bother to collaborate? Why collaborate at all? And abstracting some of their success strategies so that we can then uh, use them to help create this bio-inspired, self-sustaining virtual network in the long term. So yeah, lots of exciting things have been going on.
3: And those examples are so powerful. Like you mentioned the idea of learning from ants and learning from beehives and learning from swarms and how they collaborate. And it reminds me so much of, you may have seen this as well, but there's a, an episode of one of David Attenborough's um, Planet Earth series, or it might be the Blue Planet, where there's a group of fish and an octopus who hunt together. And they collaborate. Yes. They collaborate. You watch this video on furl of the group of fish pointing to where the fish is hiding and the octopus using its particular skills to be able to get it. And they share the prey. They almost take it in turns rather than competing. And because they each know that working together They succeed in a much better way than they do working separately and that was such a mind-blowing example of kind of cross-species interaction and collaboration um i remember using it for a piece of collaboration research as well that we were doing at dwg as an example of how i think often people think of nature as something maybe not so much anymore as something that's full of competition and threats and fear especially for humans things that want to eat us and kill us um And those things do exist, but there is so much in nature that thrives on relationships and collaboration and mutual relationships as well. So the fact that you're looking to those examples to almost remind ourselves of that, how that works and what we can learn and almost what comes naturally to us that we may have forgotten is such a powerful thing. And Abigail, I wonder, I know that you speak deeply of how you feel about nature too. And I wonder how that connection for you has been brought into your work. And I know you talk about heart-centered leadership, for example. And how has that influenced you?
1: Yeah. Well, obviously Stella McCartney was set up as a a vegetarian brand and she wanted no animal to come to any harm in the making of her products. So we kind of feel like we celebrate nature and are positively impacting um, nature every opportunity really as being part of this company Um, and those values have become you know broader and wider of course and now cover so many aspects of sustainability generally but nature has just also always been something that I have felt yeah extremely deeply connected to I think I grew up um outside of London in a small village. So I was really lucky, like Lucy was saying, maybe some people haven't had the opportunity to grow up next to nature, but I've always felt long walks. Um, and you know, the healing nature, the healing property or the power, I guess, um, of just taking a walk. And so I, when we are talking about wellbeing, um, in, in the business, you know, we do, and I guess the pandemic gave us a, an opportunity to kind of, um, reinvent things um, so many things because at the beginning of the pandemic we were so focused on everyone being productive and, and making sure that everything was getting done but then so quickly we realized that people are working way longer hours and actually we need to help them to find Find space in their day and so nature came up again even though we were not allowed to go out our houses for some time but when we were allowed out for that walk we were really encouraging people to be out in the park and out you know experiencing nature so that they could feel better so that's always been there but then in terms of heart centred leadership I think also the last 18 months it's just, it's just shown who the most powerful leaders are and it is the ones that have empathy and compassion and have been able to listen and really you know connect their teams together even though it's in a different format it's through digital instead and and so when I talk about heart-centered leadership I really just mean human first um, and everything else second and so starting from that place and i i just feel really strongly that you know it's those leaders who who people want to follow ultimately and who help to make the entire ecosystem of the organization much more enjoyable healthy productive every every kind of aspect that you you want to have for um a growing company
0: mm. and it, it strikes me abigail that um it, it, from what I sort of think about, if you like, traditional HR, that the, the language of HR has traditionally been rather mechanistic. I, I wrote down words like optimise our people, performance management, the kind of words that you would use not about a natural being. Um, and, and have you tried to, if you like, bring that, new that, more natural, and I would say more evolved language into into st- the Stella McCartney organisation. And and have you got any examples of, of the impact that that's had?
1: Yeah, I mean, actually, it's a really good point because we changed everything in terms of how we wrote uh, policy and handbooks and procedures and things, which, you know, you still need an amount of structure, of course, but the language that we chose was adult to adult and so no more you know when i talk about ripping up the hr rule book it's kind of that what what you were just saying so much of the language that we use when we're writing to people or where we you know policy of the old um kind of speaks to you as a, as a child um, and we're going to give you this but if you misbehave then this is what's going to happen kind of kind of feel about it so we we changed all of that entirely and actually a lot of our policies became much more trusting and really it's you know we know that 99.9% of people want to come and do a great job and we're going to speak to those people and there maybe you know 0. oh my math is not very good 0.1% of the people that you know, might misbehave, we can deal with that separately and, and that, you know, we want all of the language to feel inclusive and engaging and light and, you know, I want to say that we also thought about nature during that process but we did that quite a long time ago and as I said, at Stella, sometimes we just feel like nature is, is in everything that we do because that's, that's how the organisation has been set up from grassroots
0: and one, one thing that's kind of in my mind at the moment is that, um, and, it, and I know also, Abigail, you're going to be uh, part of the festival, the Nature Work Festival, which is, which is terrific. And um, one of the other people who's talking is Sebastian Coe, Lord Coe, who's the head of world athletics, um, the man or one of the people behind London 2012 Olympics. And, and he's going to do a talk, which he came up with the title of, called The Nature of Power. And he he he's, he was talking to myself and somebody else a couple of days ago in in advance and preparation of this around what he sees to be the changing nature of power in 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 the modern world the the levels of increased complexity that leadership is having to adapt to be present and I I love that he's taken the term nature of work and he's now talking about. If you like his his idea around the nature of power, because I mean, it, you know, in any organisation um, there is a, a a power structure, and we know from seeing nature itself in operation, there is we could call it power in in in, in happening, and 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 I think it's a different orientation. I think I don't know what you think, Shim, but it feels to me like power again has been locked in a machine mentality, and we now. I'm kind of inspired by this idea of liberating power uh, out of that straitjacket into a a more natural way of thinking about it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we've seen this so much, particularly over the last year, and the conversation is, is coming about more, but this idea that power resides in structure and in systems, and actually that can create inequity. It can create unfairness. It can create injustice. And that happens within society. We see it happen in organizations as well when actually the, the people on the front lines, the people in kind of lower down the hierarchy and the structure are kind of robbed of any power they have in any agency. And so the idea of unlocking that and rethinking the structures that can exist so that they are more flexible, more adaptive, more inclusive, so that people are able to experience the power that they have individually and within their teams regardless of where they are in the organization is such a powerful one and you know we've spoken about biomimicry and the idea in the book we talk about the idea of murmurations and all kinds of different structures where actually there's never one leader there's always almost like rotating and revolving idea of leadership and it can emerge from where it needs to at any one point and, you know, the idea of heart-centered leadership, we can see that this idea of the servant leader is one that's going to have so much more impact as we need to address big, challenging, complex questions where you need everyone to mm-hmm. be able to come together. So, yeah, the power, the idea of power and how it can change, I think, is a huge one.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and Lucy, I mean, one of the things I, I don't know if it'd be great to hear if you see this happening is that, Uh, one of the things that I've experienced talking to organizations is that once you, if you like, start to relate more to yourself as a living system, you think of yourself more as a forest than a factory, actually the level of effort required diminishes. I mean, because if I look out across our garden, the growth that, that is happening, it's not a matter of effort. It's a matter of, of, of growth. And I, 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 and I feel that that organisations are traditionally obsessed with efficiency, etc. But actually using the amount of effort that they have traditionally actually t- takes a, an awful lot. Um, any, um, any experiences you've had around that?
2: Yes, yes, I think you're absolutely right. I think... For years, I mean, centuries, I guess. You know, you talk in your book about the Industrial Revolution, and I really do think uh, it dates back to then and probably. Um, but us as humans, we've always forced ourselves into quite unnatural rhythms and rituals and routines and structures in pursuit of productivity and efficiency and making the most profit and making the most out of all of our resources. Um, and often that isn't the best way to go about things um, by forcing ourselves to, to adhere to these rules that we've set for ourselves um, if we if we only look to what other creatures are doing and what other and take inspiration from them for more more efficient ways of doing things things that take less effort but you, you know you reap a much greater reward um, and just take inspiration from what other living organisms are doing on the planet I think we would we would go and an awful long way. And I really do think that it's about unlearning some of these, these things that have been entrenched over the years. Um, you know, I'm fairly new to the world of work. I graduated uh, 2016, so I haven't been out here all that long. Um, but somebody who... Managing a large company that's been in been in working for twenty, thirty, forty years, they've been doing these things for so long that it can often be quite a shock to the system to present some of these newer ideas to them. You know, you say, well, why, why business? Why don't you look at it a different way? Or have you asked your staff what they prefer to do? Uh, you know, I thought Abigail's example of um, checking in with her staff is fantastic. You know, having that really close short feedback loop that you can check in with people the pulse of what's going on internally um, as well as externally. you know that really does that really does help. Um, and I think that would make things a lot more efficient in the future if we were to only look beyond the business world for inspiration. check ourselves, I think, and check our egos. We are human, but that doesn't make us any better than any other of the organisms that surround us on this planet, so we really can learn a lot from them. I love
3: that you mentioned this idea of unlearning, Lucy, because it's one that I've come across recently as well, because I think often when we talk about change, it's all about learning new behaviours, learning new behaviours. What do we need to do differently? But actually in that process, there is often things that we need to unlearn, which is why change is so hard and can be quite painful. Um, And Abigail, I wonder if you were to be speaking with someone who is in an organisation that doesn't have that same heritage of this way of working, Estella McCartney, but wanted to start to introduce this more human-centred, heart-centred, life-centred way of working across the organisation, where would you advise they started in terms of trying to ha- influence people and, and to take up that way of working?
1: Yeah, I think it always has to start with self-awareness. And from there, if you've identified... If we're talking about inclusion or whatever kind of like leadership qualities, you know, an organization wants to foster and develop, um, it's about self awareness first and then understanding and where you do need to unlearn, um, and where, you know, where, where you're at and whether that's through 360s, which can, you know, I still really believe that they can be incredibly powerful and um, there's one called the leadership circle which I absolutely love I'm not qualified in um, delivering it but I've done it myself and it's very very thorough um, but it's a great kind of place to really understand if you've got any blind spots about your own leadership style and you know how you your team feel how your peers feel how your bosses feel um, about you and I think that can be invaluable as a starting point but yeah the definition of inclusive leadership, shall we say, um, is really, really important for an organisation because whilst you might come up with some words like empathy and compassion, which we've we've done at Stella McCartney, it's also about so what does that actually mean for what I have to do on a daily basis? Because the you know, the making this happen part of it, it's it's quite you know it's quite hard to get your head around the fact that actually i i I need to do things every single day um to to make this really embedded within within the system um and that and what does that mean like how do i be compassionate or you know what does that mean in practice when i've got a team that's you know 23 people across the world in all different countries how do i do that um and so then you know you can build programs maybe working with Lucy <laughs> um to to help um develop some of those ways of working and ways of making it um part of the culture
0: hmm. and I, and i've got a sort of slightly left field question for you abigail which is um I'm just kind of thinking, and we've all heard it on the news about how much the hospitality sector is struggling to recruit people. There's a shortage of of of, of people in the whole field. Some some um, hotels, restaurants are offering financial incentives. And and one word you use right at the beginning was um, safety, or of how safe do people feel? Yeah. And I just wondered, with your uh, from a chief people officer stance. Are there things that, let's say, a restaurant could offer that isn't, you know, we'll give you a thousand pounds to sign on and stay with us for three months, that would be about creating an environment that feels more natural, healthier, safer? Because it feels to me like I've never, well, it's a long time since I worked in that sector, but if I was going to work in that sector and there's a level of concern about how safe am I going to be, which might be one of the reasons why people don't want to work in the sector. Um, I'd be very drawn to an organisation that came a bit different to, we're just going to pay you a bit extra. And I just wondered if you have any sort of top of your head thoughts on on how to kind of revive the hospitality sector and their recruitment issue.
1: I think people want to work for a company that they they believe in. And so, you know, that if if there is a story to be told which there always is a story to be told that it's that that is going to draw people in um and Mm. you know the kind of policies around things are definitely important especially after what we've all just been through but I still believe in fact even more so on the other side of the pandemic that you know having that deeper sense of meaning in what you do and belief in the story of of the organization whether it's hospitality or any industry that's what people want these days and to be able to work with that organization in a bit more of a flexible way usually and we're seeing more and more of course people want to work differently and connect differently with with organizations so i think if if the hospitality industry is able to come up with a lot of you know, flexible options, then that could also be very exciting for
0: people and um, appealing. Yeah, I'm just kind of thinking, you know, f- why is it that only certain sections get to work in the hyper-flexible way? What about what they've been doing in Iceland with a four-day week? They're experimenting yeah. with that. In New Zealand, guess what? The, the, there isn't a reduction in output efficiency, etc. Uh Lucy, do you have any thoughts about this? You know, um, what can we do to save the restaurants and hotels from the fact that they can't find any staff?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think um, it was really interesting what you were saying there about how things just haven't changed. So over the years, you know, the way that we just hasn't really changed you, know, you ask people that work in in offices or in, in different industries and they say oh yes well we have a monday morning meeting we have friday evening drinks you know we have 360s we have appraisals every every year we, we, we all do these things across industry things they haven't evolved with the with the world with the way that the world works with the way that these industries are going and so really tapping into as abigail was saying what the people want and I think she's absolutely right when she says that people want a story they want something they can buy into where they feel alive um where they feel engaged where they feel satisfied and working in this way working in a way that is in line with with nature systems is uh, I wouldn't say a shortcut to getting that but I would say that it's definitely a path to uh, build a more engaged workforce uh, where they do feel that they do have some autonomy. Uh, We're talking about power and talking about leadership earlier and having um, a self-organized team or a team with distributed leadership is is a principle that we talk a lot about. inspired business. And that, coupled with this this idea of of structure, so changing it from that hierarchical leader-servant sort of structure, alongside all these other um, principles around using feedback loops, tapping it. And then crucially, acting on it, you know, in, in a more traditional sense, like you were saying, you might have had uh, an appraisal once a year. Or you might have had a chance to give feedback on your employer once a year. Um, whereas now, I think that what a lot of people are, are looking for is a lot more of a relationship with their employer and more opportunities to have their say uh, and give their opinion about how, how things are going. Um, and employers that are attuned to their workforce, so internally, but they're also externally attuned. So what's going on in the world around us? Um, You know, evolve our business model and our our practices, our processes to fit in with the world of work as we find it today, rather than how it was maybe five or even 10 years ago. Um, And all of these things will help you to adapt and to evolve into a business that people want Um, because you will have adapted and evolved with the times alongside um, your workers. So, yes, I really do think that is the way forward.
0: Yeah, and it strikes me, Abigail, just listening to your answer and Lucy's answer, that this idea, as we say in the book, of the new story of work for a living age, that actually, when you start to, if you like, bring this new language, this, this, this metaphor, this... Uh, anchor into nature to what can seem like quite difficult problems like um, shortage of staff in a particular sector actually opens us up to think in a much broader way. Because I feel like often the it's a bit like the whole issue with if there's going to be people working remotely in perpetuity, what's going to happen to sandwich shops in central London and central Birmingham? And and the answer is, well, you sort of push people to go back to the offices. And it feels that that's a very linear and rather uh, non-creative way of thinking about it.
1: I mean, we've had to reinvent everything. I, I, I can't even think of one thing that is going to go right. back in a way. It's It's all going to be different. And um we've got such an opportunity now and we're we're in the process at the moment of kind of drawing out all the silver linings because there was a you know there was a a time that we have had to go through that was really tough and all of us on the planet but you know in terms of the world of stem mccartney you know it's been it's been difficult because we're a we're a creative company where we work with product and materials and so finding ways at the very beginning of lockdown to kind of even be able to continue to make clothes and to make designs and and things was really difficult and we had to be ingenious about it Um, and so and, and then since then you know everything else hasn't been reinvented and you know the future of the fashion show we don't know what that's going to be um and and that's exciting and a bit scary um but there's definitely mm. the you know these kind of silver linings that we that we're pulling together to help us to make the decisions of of how our workplace is going to be in the future our habitat you know globally um and how we're in, from how we're engaging with customers to how we're reaching you know wider society as well and what impact we're we're making and, and positive impact um, of course. And, you know, I think with Stella, we, we always want to, I mean, she's been a pioneer since the very beginning in so many aspects. And so this is an opportunity now to pioneer and um, so many different things. And you just have to select what is going to be the, the absolute priorities of course. Um, and, and, and role model it as well for other sectors. Cause ultimately we are about, changing the way the fashion industry works but in in a sense it's much wider than that much broader than that and she would like to change the way industry works so it's exciting
3: absolutely and I think one of one of the things just going back to the right at the start of our conversation Abigail you were sharing that you know at the beginning of the pandemic there was such a focus on being productive and people were working longer hours. And it's something we're hearing time and again now, that the the impact of burnout, the impact of not being able to rest. um, And we know it's a health issue, but we also know that organizations that are putting in place wellbeing programs with a focus on things like apps and meditation doesn't quite go to the heart of some of the challenges of why people aren't being able to rest. And there's yeah. that constant tension and challenge between needing to get the work done but needing to rest in order to be able to do that and that tension between the individual and the organization and i just wonder as a kind of final question for both of you what can we learn from nature to solve that rest challenge that people have inside of work maybe starting with you first lucy Ooh.
2: That's a good one. Um, I think, yes, I think it, it, it ties into a lot of things that we've been talking about today, um, especially just right down at the very, very heart of your business, how your business is structured, you know, the as business, your purpose, your overall purpose as a business within the business, and then how that ripples out into the into wider society. Because that in a sense, you know, building a healthy business, building a healthy organisation isn't something that can be done on a surface level. You know, a workshop around mental health or giving giving staff an access to an app is, is fantastic. That's definitely a step forward, but it's really not going to solve this problem in its entirety. So I think it really does come down to wholly in- this new way of of working. So as Abigail was saying, you know, this is a time of great opportunity. We've all gone through something um, quite disruptive. We've all uh, changed the way that we live. We've changed the way that we work. And an analogy that I I often use in workshops is Fire. So if you think about the forest fires that were happening um, last year and the year before in San Francisco, for example, you know, you have that whole ecosystem that just gets destroyed, or almost wiped out by this fire. So we can we can think of the fire like COVID. This kind of aftermath where, uh, you know, we look around us as the dust settles and everything is different now. And, you know, people are wanting to cling on to a little bit of normality. They're wanting to bounce back. Um, but the thing about resilience or true resilience is not about going backwards to how things were or clinging on to how things have always been. It's about a positive step forward uh, and embracing positive change. So, like Abigail was saying, it really is now a fantastic time to start thinking about Make to work and live. You know, we don't have to do things the ways that we've always done it before. Asking your asking your, your, customers, asking your clients, asking your team, what what do you prefer? Do you like to work like this? Do you like to work like that? What helps you? What makes you feel more easy to life in the workplace? Because yes, I do think that, you know, reduced hours are always helpful. It's never, never a good idea to be working all, all around the clock. But I think, Right deep at the heart of it is if you have a job where uh, you you have some autonomy over what you're doing, uh, it's flexible enough that it fits in with your own life, you know, you fit into a team, you feel like you, you're making a difference, you feel engaged, you feel satisfied. That in itself is a sense of, it's a form of rest, I suppose. So, a job where they felt incredibly burnt out, where they felt like they're super stressed all the time, they don't have the time to do what they need, they don't have the support that they need simply being in an environment that is healthy, that is uh, conducive to good work and, and feeling good about your and your work. I think that in itself is a, is a nice change or a nice rest. Um, so yeah, adopting some of these principles and really seeking to look beyond the traditional business world and, and this new post COVID exciting time and we can all do new and exciting things. I think that's the way forward.
3: I love that question. What brings you to life in the in the workplace? That feels like such an important one to ask that just gets to the heart of our experiences in work. And Abigail, if I'm fired to ask the same question, what can we learn from nature to help start to integrate rest as a part of work to really create those life-centered organizations? What ideas would you have and kind of
1: advice around that? And just the living system, the fact that organizations are living systems and that we're all part of that and our contribution you know is is so uh fragile in a way um no i don't know what i'm talking about i don't know the answer that's okay (laughs) i'm trying to think how to make the parallel with nature because maybe the question in a different way i don't know of course of course (laughs) It's something about cycles well, what, maybe of life cycles um, <laughs> yeah
0: yeah. I, I think what, what occurs what occurs to me is that you know just picking up on what you said Abigail about living systems if uh, you know one of the things I've often thought about is that in in, the, in nature when animals are, are tired they they sleep but in in the world of work when human beings are tired they carry on working. Yeah so you you know you see this sort of weird exhaustion and and jet lag and, and these strange kind of concepts and i suppose it, it, you know thinking about a, a, um, an organization as a living system i suppose it's like how do you create that the that it's yeah. okay for people to to say i'm i'm exhausted i i need to rest i mean one of the things that we've just done in 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 uh, in my company, we we've for the first time ever given people a a week's holiday in in August, uh, paid holiday off, just because people have had to give an awful lot and work an awful lot and um, and I suppose that's one way of almost not quite forcing people to rest, but 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 giving people rest. And I think what I've noticed in the, in doing this is that there's two aspects of it. There's the week itself. But also just a level of gratitude, relief uh, that people have just feel so appreciative that that something's been given, and it's almost like it's a, it's not so much what the thing is itself; it's it's the fact that you know there was care p- paid to to ward yeah. people.
1: Yeah.
0: Does that spark any yes, ideas yes. for you?
1: I think yeah, it's the thing of li- <laughs> the living system and the facts that. That it's vulnerable, not fragile. That's the word I'm really looking for. Mm. And I think that you know we can't yeah. just keep going. We're not machines, and so yeah, that that idea no. that that we that we don't that this is all affecting us and this always on kind of culture. That in a way it's hard to know where the line is between what the organisational pressure is and your own the own, the pressure that you put on yourself to to achieve and keep going. And, and I think this again was the first kind Mm. of year in which it was okay not to be okay and to say it. Um, and it became, you know, it became safe to say that in the workplace. Mm. And I, I, that's, that's definitely a first in, in my career for sure that, that, that people were coming forward to, to really say how they're not okay and they need to take a, a break. And, and, and so we realized very quickly that we needed to put in place some mechanisms and yes apps and we work with a brilliant company called Selfspace, where people can access therapy online in a very you know entirely obviously confidential way, and kind of different um, yeah mechanisms, but then also what you were saying, and it makes me think about psychological safety, which I know is a is a word that is being used a lot at the moment, but how do you create that? and again, it comes down to individual leaders making sure that every day they are creating that 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 safe space, and the way to do that we've found the best way to do that is to is for that leader to be vulnerable in some way and to share something about themselves or to you know to say that they don't know mm-hmm. the answer. you know that has been possible in this last period and Mm. that's been wonderful i think and has really advanced the way that people feel in the company and that they don't have to keep going we still have a lot of um people that are working you know really really long hours but again that goes back to the point of unlearning because i think if you put the mechanisms in place and you you have the learning opportunities for people to understand how to not use tech as much or whatever it is that it's going to be to make their lives uh, more simple, that's when you know it can work,
0: yeah. And I, I, I think, I think that you know, as you said, it, it used to be unacceptable for leaders to show vulnerability, vulnerability equaled weakness, weakness equaled failure. Um, and I think we're growing in our understanding that vulnerability is actually a strength, that, that systems are vulnerable and an understanding and appreciation of that. I always remember, I don't know why it came into my head, but when I was, I think I was about 16, and I was being a pretty difficult 16-year-old in North Manchester, and I was my dad was in the car, and and he stopped the car and he said to me, he said, look, I don't know. How to be a parent? I, I've not got some rule book that tells me how to do this. I'm just making this up as I go along, and I went. It, it just completely stopped me in my tracks. And he was saying, you know, I'm essentially, I think, what he was kind of communicating was, I'm I'm supposed to be the leader, but I'm I'm vulnerable and yeah. I'm struggling here too. So, um, but and, and on that, I'll, I'll kind of thank you so much both of you for for your fascinating conversation and you know we've we've got through about half the questions we wanted to ask you and and and, and i suppose what i'm struck by shim is that, is is that the more we get into these conversations with with people like abigail and lucy who are working these things through on a on a daily basis in their own organizations and their clients the more that there is to say and and talk about. Yeah,
3: I think it's endless, right? <laughs> Nature itself is endless in a sense. And so the conversation about how and what we can learn from it in order to create more thriving work environments and work practices is going to be endless as well. Um, but thank you both. I've learned so much from the two of you going through this. So thank you for joining and being so open. Thank you. I've had a great time.
2: Yeah, it's been wonderful to finally chat.
0: For more information about the Nature of Work book, visit natureofwork.com. The Nature of Work podcast is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy, supporting more than 100 leading organizations to advance their digital workplaces. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.